Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be starting in verse 12, reading to verse 19. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others who do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ, they preach with selfish ambition, not sincerity, intending to make my chains more painful to me, but that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached. Either way, so I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning. We thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for this uh, chance to look into your word, Lord, to worship you, Lord, to express our thanksgiving, Lord, to express our desires, express our fears and our hopes, and Lord, we thank you that you, you hear them. Lord, we thank you for being here with us this morning, and I ask that you would sit with each and every one of us, and you would uh, guide our hearts and guide our minds, Lord, that you would have us hear what you would have. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I do have one more prayer request that was handed to me. I wanted to make sure we get this, this out to everyone, and we'll, we'll say another quick word of prayer over it, uh, but um, Caitlin Daniels had a baby girl on June 8th. Her name's Amelia. Uh, Amelia has not been able to make it out of the NICU as of yet. Um, she's having surgery this Tuesday at Hershey Medical Center Children's Hospital uh, to close a hole in her heart. Um, so we, we need to pray over Caitlin. We need to pray over Amelia and the rest of the Daniels family. So if you would pray with me. Lord, thank you so much again uh, for this chance to express to you a desire of our heart. Lord, there's, there's a young, young baby girl uh, that holds some weight in our hearts. Her name is Amelia, and she needs your healing. Lord, she needs you to come alongside of her doctors, come alongside of her family. And Lord, <laughs> guide their hands. You have put these people in, in this place for this reason. Lord, for that we know we can have confidence in the future. We can have confidence in Amelia's future because you have put her here. And you have put her where she is for this specific reason. And so, Lord, we ask for this Tuesday that you would bring steadiness of hands and steadiness of hearts. And so that we may rejoice as Amelia comes out uh, fully healthy and able to be loved fully by her family, Lord. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was given this opportunity to preach uh, because, again, Pastor Doug is on vacation. He's, he's driving all over God's creation right now. 
Um, it's, and they're doing it in exactly the way he hates to do it, by the way. Um, Dad likes to get to where he's going. He, he has two, for vacation, he has two locations, home and vacation. And so to stop and 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 to stop is not the way Dad does it. Um, so you can continue to pray for him because I'm, I'm sure at some point he's going to be scratching at the windows. Uh, but my, uh, I think my sister Stephanie has, has got him under uh, a tight chain to make sure that they stop when they need to. Um, they've been having a fantastic time. We get pictures of them uh, probably nine or so every single night to show us what they've been up to that day. Um, my, my niece has greatly enjoyed the fact that they've been out there. They got to spend the whole weekend with her, so that's wonderful. Um, and looks like she's having fun. No word on whether or not he got to see the airplanes that he wanted to see. Uh, but it's very true what Mr. Darrell said about dad loves to drive. It feels like he's on his lawnmower. That's, that's probably true. Uh, the only thing we just want to make sure is he doesn't try to turn around and come the other way to, <laughs> to make the lines in the, in the grass. Uh, but they're doing well, so thank you for your prayers for that. Uh, but this is fun for me. Uh, I was told I would have two weeks, and I said, that's not enough. Give me a third one. So you can make your own decisions come the third week, whether or not you want to hear the end of this, I guess. Uh, but I'm, I'm working on this series I'm calling Worship. And when we hear the idea of worship, usually we think, oh, yeah, we sing. We sing the songs, and we pray. Uh, and what I really want to do is I, I want to open our eyes to a much broader sense of the term worship. Did you actually know that taking a nap can be worship? I heard an amen. Probably should have been a few more. It's true. We were told about this in the book of Genesis. On the seventh day, God rested. It's called Sabbath. We're supposed to take a break every once in a while. And when we do, it is worship. I took that a little too literally when I was in high school. If you would have been in our church by the end of service, you would have found me with a red line across my forehead. Because if, if you do this for a second, look in front of you right now and lean forward and see right about where your forehead would hit on the pew in front of you. That was my time of worship. And most people would see me go, oh, he's in very contemplative prayer. That's probably not true. I, don't, I was a high schooler. They, they probably knew better. But yeah, I'd be out greeting people at the, at the door with a red line across my forehead saying, thank you so much for being here. going to go home and probably have more. That's not a good story to tell with high schoolers in the room. <laughs> right? And, and especially now we're talking about worship, they're going to say, well, on the third day, I was just practicing what he said. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully this will be eye-opening and, and mind-awakening. I would like to think. So we, we read Philippians 1 here, and this is a letter from Paul to the, the Christians in Philippians, in Philippi, excuse me. And what he, what he mentions here, the one thing I really want you to notice is actually right there in the first verse, in verse 12. He says, Then I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me spread the good news. This is a really interesting take for Paul. It's a really interesting take, and, and 
we'll often hear this in, our, in uh, other people's lives and hopefully even in your own life where Paul has taken a moment to look back and said, everything that's happened up to this point has brought me here and it's been for good. And for Paul to say that and us to realize he's saying it while shackled to chains. To have somebody with that kind of outlook. I don't think you're going to be able to go to many prisons and find all that many people say, it's a good thing I'm here. See, we need to look at a little bit more of Paul's story to really gain a more full understanding of how Paul can hold this kind of view. So, uh, and Paul actually lays out some of his own story in Galatians. It's laid out in Acts, so if you would really like to, you can go and look this up for yourself, but I'm just going to kind of give you the cliff notes real quick. But Paul grew up in a town called Tarsus, which is actually on a major trade route in modern-day Turkey. It's right on, the, uh, right on the sea, so he was on a trade route for both land and sea. What that meant is he now has access to many languages and many schools of thought. He was really well educated. He was also a Roman citizen, which allows him to move around the entire empire and not be accosted. So he has his own legal rights. He can do uh, not whatever he wants, but whatever he wants within the law, and he can't get in trouble for being somewhere he's not supposed to because he's a Roman citizen. And he ends up turning into a good Jewish boy who defended the sanctity of the Jewish religion and law. Which sounds really good, right? To to say, well, I grew up in the church, I became a good Christian boy, and I dedicated my life to defending the sanctity of the Christian religion and our ways. That sounds really good. But for Paul, it turned out to be a really bad path. One that led to death, one that led to torment, not just for him, but for many around him. That's not where Paul's story ends, though, thank goodness. Because Jesus shows up on his way to Damascus as he's traveling to continue his work of defending the Jewish faith. Jesus shows up and says, What are you doing? And he puts a stop to that so-called ministry of Paul's. But the good thing is, is that actually isn't where Paul's story ends either. Because at the same time, when Jesus shows up and says, you need to stop what you're doing, he also says, I see what you have, and I can use that. And he sets Paul on his new ministry. See, what ends up happening is Jesus sees that, man, Paul knows a whole lot of languages and he's really well educated and he's really well spoken and he's pretty, pretty good at this writing thing. And he's got all that freedom to be able to move around this whole empire that covers almost half the earth. And he's really good at arguing and being able to have people see his side. I can use that. So Paul didn't actually change that much of who he was. He just changed his direction. What ends up happening is Jesus redeems Paul 
By taking all the things that he is, and instead of using them for death, he's now using them for life. And we can see that often in Paul's writing as he talks about being crucified with Christ and being a new creation. It's this idea of being able to look at where you've been and say, I see how I've gotten to where I am now. And Paul wouldn't have been able to get there without an intervention from Jesus himself. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. And the amazing thing is, is that's not even the end of Paul's story. Paul continues to go on all these different trips and he gets shipwrecked and he gets beaten and he gets arrested. And every time that happens to him, all he says is glory to God. Paul's a nut. Glory to God. Thank goodness I was shipwrecked here. Thank goodness I was put in this jail. Thank goodness that town beat me up and kicked me out. Because Paul's devotion is shown to us more and more through that. And now the people, as they hear his story, as they hear his ministry and his preaching, they can look at him and say, well, he's not doing this for himself because that hasn't gotten him anywhere. And they, can, they end up trusting what he says more and more because of the hardships he went through. So yeah, Paul keeps saying, glory to God. People are going to trust me that much more now. They might not want to go with him on his trips, but they'll definitely trust him a lot more. And I love so many of the stories from Paul, while he's in, especially while he's in prison. It seems like every time he got put in prison, he ended up converting the jailer to Christianity. Every time. I've heard stories of uh, Soviet Russia, and I've heard stories of uh, communist China, where it was illegal to have any kind of religion, not, not just Christianity, but any kind. So if you were a Christian, you got put in prison. And they had to keep changing out the guards because the Christians in the prison kept saving the, the jailers. Isn't that amazing? It's the same idea. It's the same notion of it doesn't matter where you are or what has happened to you. God is going to do something with you and through you. And Paul knew that. He just kept finding these new mission fields. That no matter what Paul went through, God kept using him for good. And even when Paul was faced with death, he would look back and say, I've seen where God has brought me from. I am blessed. So his life was an act of worship. By pushing forward, by continuing the work of God, Paul's life was an act of worship. See, this is one of the foundations of what worship actually is. It is attributing to God his worthiness. Attributing to God his worthiness. To say, this is where you've brought me. And for you, I will continue to push forward because you are worth it. Your message is worth it. What's great within our Bible is this idea, this story, is not unique to Paul. 
I'm not, I'm not going to have you turn to all these different places because there's, there's too many of them. I'm not going to dwell on too many of them for too long. But let's look at some of these. Paul's story is not unique to himself. Joseph goes through many of the same ideas. Joseph, who gets sold by his brothers into slavery and gets left in prison in Egypt and then suddenly is put in a position of amazing power within the Egyptian empire and he's able to save his family because of it. And at the very end of Genesis, he even tells his brothers, what you meant to do was for evil, but God used it for good. Moses, in in very much the same way, before he was even born, his life was in danger. Moses' graduating class was really small. The pharaoh in Egypt wanted to kill all the boys. They were getting getting too populous. We got to control the population one way or another. Kill every, every boy under two. And Moses was taken away from his family, only to be rescued by the very people who were trying to kill him. And then later in life, he was able to use all of those lessons that he gained from the Egyptians to use against them. Their own battle tactics, their own political ideas, their own own knowledge of who they thought were gods. Through God, Moses ruined all of that. Joshua, in very much the same way, think of this. Joshua started out as a spy in the promised land. And it was just him and Caleb who came back and said, God, it's good. It's ripe for the taking. We could totally do this with God. And everybody else said, you're crazy and wouldn't listen to him. I think we know how that might feel for some of you when you're, when you're trying to get uh, your workforce or, or your family to say, no, this is the way we have to go. It's, it's where we need to go and no one will listen. Later, that guy gets put in charge of everything and leads the entire conquest of the promised land. You can even get to Ruth, a whole book of the Bible named after this lady. Ruth, we find her, her first story, I'm sorry, or the beginning of her story, is she's homeless. She's homeless with no one to take care of her. And she just continues on doing what she feels she is being led to by God. I'm going to your God will be my God is what she tells Naomi and off they go and she does her absolute best to take care of her mother-in-law who she has no legal business having to do this for whatsoever and by the end of it she is so blessed she becomes the grandmother of Israel's greatest king speaking of that king starts out not too great you think oh no what are you talking about he has David and Goliath he starts out wonderful Okay, let's think of his full story. You just got told by Samuel that you're the king. By the way, that puts a price on your head because there's still a king. So, so you're the king, but don't tell anybody because your life would be forfeit. And suddenly that king realizes what's going on, and now you're on the run. But what's amazing is while that king, King David, is on the run, that's where he finds all of his bodyguards. They were known as as pretty rough people. And he finally got them all, he learned his leadership ways, and he became Israel's greatest king. 
And we can follow this all the way into the New Testament. My favorite disciple to read about, to learn about, Peter. The guy with the biggest foot and the biggest mouth, and he keeps trying to put them together. Peter, who the first time we meet him, the first thing he says to Jesus is, get away from me, I'm not worth this. I'm a sinful man, you don't, you don't want to talk to me. And then by the end of Peter's story that we find in the Gospels, he is again denying Christ three times because he's afraid for his own life. And Jesus tells him, on you am I building this church. Because now Peter understands the power of forgiveness. Isn't that amazing? All of these people, all through the entire biblical story, continue to show that it is not where you are right now that matters it so much. It's how God is using you in that moment. While God is working in you in that moment. To a point where you can get to a place where you can turn around and say, Oh, there's God. Oh, there he, there he was. I can't believe I made it here. There's, wow. So all of these people had dark, trying times. And God not only brought them out of it, but brought them to a point where they were thriving and doing amazing things for God's kingdom. So now our job is to examine our own lives. I, th I think it's fantastic that Pastor Doug shared part of uh, his ministry journey story last week. And if you weren't here, just very quickly, uh, he moved from Lancaster to Portland, Oregon with the whole family. I guess I did too. I was part of that. <laughs> you know. But he knew one person out there. Hadn't even met him before. Just quick phone call once or twice. And he had, he had a promise of a job and said, yeah, that, that'll do it. That'll be good. That, that'll be good enough. We'll figure it out from there. So off they go. And by the time they get to, to Oregon, they find out that that place either went out of business or was never a job in the first place. And so now he just moved across the entire country with a family of, of six kids, me being the youngest at two, in a giant van <laughs> with everything they owned, sitting in a parking lot of the post office going, well, what do we do now? So they go and they look for a house and they, they find a, a, a possibility of a house and they talk to the, the individual and they said, hey, we're, we don't have a job, <laughs> but we hope to, um, and we hope to move in here too. If you know anything about moving into rental apartments, usually hopes don't get you there. And lo and behold, the person living right next door was that one person they knew in the entire city of Portland that they had only talked to once. Do you think that was God? So how has God shown up in your own life? How has he protected you? 
for my own story. Going from high school into college, I had this great idea. I was going to be a sports broadcaster. That was my full plan. I wanted to be the voice of the Detroit Lions. You only work like 16 times a year. Would have been perfect, right? No, but my, that was my goal. I had no aspirations of being a pastor whatsoever. I just, I told you earlier, I slept through most of church. People would ask me, oh, are you going into the family business? And I was like, no, that's not me. That's not for me. I went to metal concerts. Not, not like, oh, that's, you know, nice, easy listening. No, the louder and the faster they played, the more I liked them. Can you tell at all? Do I look like it? I don't have one tattoo, but that was my music of choice. If they screamed louder, I liked it more. And now I listen to classical in my office, by the way. Amen. But there you go. <laughs> but I was not the, the kind of person that you would look at and say, pastor, definitely, that's the guy. Most of the people who knew me in high school would, would hang out with me for a little bit and they'd go, isn't your dad a pastor? Because they would hear how I talked and how I joked and how I acted. And I would say, yeah, I, yeah, but I'm not a good Christian. And I went to college. Generally, you give, you give a teenager more freedom, they turn into more of who they are or who they want to be. Which generally, I'm sorry, teenagers, that's not always good. It's just not. For me, it was definitely not. I went to school and I went, you know what? I want to look at this party scene. I really do. I want to see what it's like. Say, so, well, I've seen the movies and now I want to experience it. I had a, a roommate from Wyoming, big party state, I guess. <laughs> what else is there to do, I suppose? But he told me, oh, don't worry about it. We're totally hitting all these parties. I know exactly what to do. You walk around the city and people will yell at you where the parties are, and that's how you get to them. That's not how you get to them. But that was our plan. And that's what we did. We walked probably 10 miles a night all through Lincoln, Nebraska. That's how I learned the city. I was walking around looking for parties in downtown Lincoln. There aren't any in downtown Lincoln. That's not, it's not how this works at all. So it is a fantastic thing that God blessed me with such an idiot of a roommate. Because we didn't know any better. And thank goodness we didn't. God protected me from that. And it took another two years to put somebody else in my life who said, hey, I think you'd really like this church. And I ended up there, and I ended up meeting somebody else who went to Seattle for grad school, and she called me a, a year later and said, hey, I think you'd really like this grad school. And so I ended up there, and I met a tall glass of water who I'm married to now and have two kids and, and here I am. Do you think that was God maybe? Do you see how you can take a step back from your life? Just take a moment to look back and say, well, I know I have this thing that's really good 
and it feels like God gave it to me. Now go back and find out where it came from, and it's not going to make any sense because it's nothing that you did, it's everything that God did. So where have you seen God in your life? Who has he used you to bless? This is a tough one because you don't know. You don't know all of them. I had my, my best friend growing up, he ended up being in the Marines, but all the way through high school, uh, I kept inviting him to youth things, mostly because I wanted like another friend at the youth things that I had to go to, um, but he kept hearing the message, and that was not my intent. And by the time we got out of high school, there was one girl he wanted to date, and her requirement was you had to go to church with my family, bless her. And now he's married to her, and they're churchgoers, and he's saved. That wasn't me, but God used me to, put, to have him hear the message to know what to do. That wasn't me at all. How, where else have you seen God in your life? How has he healed you? We've all been through some rough patches. We've all been through some bad darkness in our lives. We have lost loved ones. We have been in fights with families. We have been in fights with friends. We have lost jobs. We've been all over the place. And God has healed your heart every time. How has God guided you? What decisions have you made in your life that you went, man, it's a good thing I went that direction. Who put that thought on your heart? Let's just take a look at your life. James 1.17 tells us whatever is good in your life that came from God. So take a look at your life. What has been good? Where did it come from? Take a look at your life. Go back and say, what were the bad things in my life and how am I healed from that now? What people did God put in my life to help me through that? As the list will go on and on and on, you will never stop finding new ways of how God has blessed you. The fact of the matter is, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what you've been through, God has been working in you and through you. And this is one of the things that we worship God for. What God has done. And this, what I've talked about, doesn't even cover the big thing that God has done. That he left his throne in heaven to come to earth to die for our sins so that we may have an eternal relationship with him. That's what God has done. If you can't think of anything else in your life, there's one. You have the opportunity to have access to the creator of the universe and all the power that comes with that. That's what God has done. So God has been working in you He's been working through you. He has called you from darkness into his glory for your benefit and for his honor. He's done all of this for your benefit. 
Because he loves you more than anything else. He is the perfect father. He is the perfect friend. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will pull you up from every pit. He will guide you through every maze. And he will heal every injury and dry every tear. Praise him for that. So just like Paul, just like Joseph, just like Ruth, just like David, just like Joshua, just like Peter, just like every other person in this Bible, let your life be an act of worship as you realize the thanksgiving you have for what God has done in your life. Let your life be that act of worship. 